You're listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author Sarah Box, where you get the inside scoop on the steps action takers and decision makers take to align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and life. We focus on the mantra, no labels, no limits, no excuses. Each week, you'll hear from remarkable guests who have overcome challenges and obstacles to succeed in the face of adversity. By listening to their stories, you'll get practical tips, tools, and resources you can implement today to bust through your own internalized prisons of worry and doubt. And now, without further ado, please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart, Sarah Box. Welcome to this episode of the No Labels, No Limits podcast, a podcast all about helping action takers and decision makers like you align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and in life. I'm Sarah from Sarah Box Coaching and Consulting. On today's podcast, we are joined by Marissa Vachiapai, Chief of Staff at 21 Progress. Marissa identifies as a creator and movement builder. She's a first-generation Thai American and passionate about building community power. She's driven by her belief that every person has a unique purpose and is passionate about creating experiences, building systems, and bringing together diverse communities that allow each person to take pride in their individual strengths and a shared mission. Marissa implements and supports programs at 21 Progress, and with a background in social psychology research, nonprofit management, and youth development, Marissa uses her talents and passion to drive her leadership. But I know that you're originally from Bangkok and that your values inform the work you do and that your deep culture of hospitality, acceptance, and a love for fun also do. So first, let me welcome you to the podcast, and then I have a start-off question for you. Thank you so much, Sarah. I'm really excited to be here, and um, yeah, just excited to dive in and share. Okay, well, let's get going. Before we dive into the, all the information you're going to share with us, I want to know what is one non-negotiable ritual that you do daily or at least pretty frequently that keeps you heading in the direction of your big vision? Yeah, so I think um, for me, one of the hardest challenges around um, a big vision is keeping on track and um, persisting um, towards the vision. Um, I really like new shiny things, and so sometimes I get distracted by that. But what I do is I have uh, a journal that I keep, and um, in this journal, I just record and document different goals, different insights, and visions that I have for how I want to move forward. And, and I go back to this journal weekly, definitely monthly, and then on days that I am just feeling like a need for inspiration. Um, but I'm going back to when I'm kind of reassessing and, and, and judging whether or not um, I'm still on the path that I want to be on, if this goal still feels right to me. And, and I'm continuing to add thoughts and to my process and to kind of help inform my journey as I go so that it's not just one destination, but I'm in this iterative process in my journey, analyzing, do I want to take a different, do I want to go a different direction? Do I want to keep going forward? And so that's a non-negotiable in terms of making sure that I have personal time to reflect on that um, time to uh, add to my thoughts about um, purpose and distant directions. And I find that it's really grounding in terms of just um, remembering where I'm headed. It's easy to get off 
track with all the distractions. And like you said, you get attracted by shiny objects. So as someone who also does, I recognize how easy it is to all of a sudden think, I wasn't really going to start doing that right now, but somehow I am. So I love your um, reflection and journal and then checking in constantly to see, is it still relevant? And if so, how am I doing? Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Hey, so I'm very curious about as a first generation Thai American and being originally from Bangkok, what was the path and how did you end up doing the work you're doing now? What's the story behind Marissa? Yeah, so uh, my parents immigrated to the U.S. uh, pretty early in my upbringing. I'm a 1.5 generation, so uh, like I immigrated before I was seven. I was just about one years old, so I was really young still. But my the cultural backgrounds, my parents like very much have this deep, deep culture, uh, Thai culture, and this love and this values around joy, um, always uh, going for what we want, and facing challenges head on, but doing it with a style of ease and grace and just fun. And so that's something that I very much learned from them. Uh, my childhood, there is uh, lots and lots of moving. I kind of call it like this, like my family and I did the slow migration up the West Coast. So we started down in Southern California near LA. And um, before that, we had kind of settled in Seattle, Washington. I had um, gone to about 11, 12 different schools. Um, we had lived in about that many uh, different towns and cities, if not more. And uh, throughout that experience, one of the things that I just saw over and over again was the different ways that either one or both of my parents would light up or the different ways that they would kind of um, shut down in some ways, um, kind of based on the environment that was around them. And so in some communities that we were in, if I was getting the support that I needed at school, if um, school felt like a really engaging environment, um, I would blossom and um, you could see me thrive. And the same would happen with both my parents. If my um, um, And the slow migration was very much uh, set forth, like um, around pursuits of jobs, right? And so very much in this kind of like immigrant style. And so if my dad was finding what he needed, um, you would see him really blossom in ways that um, he was being, you could tell that, he, that the community and the places were investing in him and he would be able to invest in us even more. And so for me, I really started to learn that we are the unit that we are and we are individuals. And within that, one of the things we're also very highly impacted around is environments. And I thought about how interesting this concept was and how strongly it would show up um, in my family and in our dynamics. And so going into, uh, so I was just like fascinated by it. And then after high school into um, college was uh, studied and um, did a lot of work in social psychology labs, thinking about the idea of belonging and how environments help either bring out the best in people or not. And with that, I just really had this like passion, this desire to create environments that help help people flourish, um, knowing that there's I, like there's just so much goodness within inside of us. And I think of myself as someone who can create environments that create experiences where we're able to spark that excitement. We're able to just kind of like take the film or the lid off of um, what's being contained so that all of this good stuff can come out. And, and I think it's, I mean, like, you know, just like growing up with my parents, like there are lots of times where we're uh, struggling financially. But one of the things that I think was so strange about my childhood is that for at least three, three or four winters, we had season passes to the slopes to go skiing. 
And, and it was just one of these things that like, I think that was really um, important to them. Even though there are times that we were struggling, they still always said like, where is the fun? How do we go and tap into the fun? And they were just these like Thai folks are really into skiing. It was so strange. We were the only ones that were on the slopes um, that were Thai. I'm pretty sure <laughs> of it. Um, but, uh, but it was just really important to them to always find ways to have fun. And so I think for me, it's like knowing that life is going to be challenging, knowing that the things that we're going to, um, that we want and we desire will always be a path and a road where we're going to have to overcome some stuff. But in that process, like, let's try to create environments that are the best that they can be, that bring out the best in who we are. And so that the challenge and the journey ahead is something that's enjoyable and worth telling. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so that's what brings me to like the, the work that I have today and this kind of passion and love for thinking about programs for youth, thinking about policies or environments that really help folks feel safe, help folks feel that they can um, bring their strengths to the table and share them with others. So let's talk a little bit about the um, safety and strengths piece, because it's interesting in having done a lot of research and interviews lately around that. It's interesting to me about how people identify safety, especially when it's about bringing who you are to the table, right? As opposed to not just, but as in addition to physical safety, right? There's environmental, physical safety, but also the safety in which we express who we are. So can you talk about how you bring all that rich, both your cultural heritage, your education, and your personal experience to what you do as chief of staff at 21 Progress? And who who do you work with there? Oh, yeah, thanks. Oh, I love that question. So, uh, so uh, we have a pretty small team at 21 Progress. I work with two amazing folks, um, Mozart Gallier, who's our executive director, and Stephanie Locke. Um, who manages our communications and fundraising, and uh, and then an incredible team of different folks who work with youth and work with community alongside with us. And I think in terms of safety, and and I think we're like talking about psychological safety. Uh, and when it comes to that, I think that one of the things that I have understood that really helps me is understanding that we're all human, and that so many of these, so many of the fears that I have, or the anxieties or the things that I keep me up at night, I think that if I'm not recognizing and remembering that so many of the folks around me, even though we're not saying it out loud, are also experiencing the same type of feelings. And and I think that for me, it's around saying the thing that the things that don't often get said and putting putting power to those things. And what I found is that as I tend to share, this is what's kept me up at night. This is what's been scaring me. Um, what I've found that it creates avenues for folks to then share what's been keeping them up at night. And I think that whenever we are able to kind of alleviate that fear and make um, space to have these kind of like stickier conversations in the workplace in particular, it's jarring for folks because they're you know trying to figure out whether or not they can share. Um, But um, as someone in leadership, uh, taking that first step, I think is how folks then signal, oh, it's okay that I share as well. And so I think knowing that like that there are a lot of stories that I could keep um, to myself and might make me look really cool or like (laughs) seem very mysterious. But, uh, But I think it's in sharing those things that we're actually able to create deeper connection and say, this is a place where we can talk about our fears, even though, or talk about whatever might be heavy. 
instead of having to have a um, facade all the time, being cool and in control, feeling great. Yeah, which is very important to us millennials. It's very important to us. And so to be um, cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, let me tell you, it's, it's it's important to every generation. I'm thinking hmm. it it just that the cool looks different, right? It has a uh, different. You have a different jacket that you put on depending upon the decade or the age group. But everybody wants to be cool and feel safe and secure. Um, it just looks different. So I <laughs> what I what I really appreciate about what you just said, though, and as someone who has been working on growing into this myself, I would look to you for some advice on this. And that is specifically, if I have a work environment and I'm sharing, let's say I'm taking your example, I'm sharing something that keeps me up at night. How do I also communicate to whomever I'm speaking with that it is safe for them to share as well if they want to, and nothing is going to necessarily come back or be held against them. Because I've also seen situations where someone says, well, it's okay for me to share because I have power and control, right? So um, it's, it's not as risky for me personally. So have you worked with like either folks new to the workforce or less comfortable, and then you watch them kind of go, oh, this is what safety feels like? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. So I think that it's definitely something that uh, it's definitely, I think it's definitely a balance between what is shared and then also helping give folks permission or give folks kind of the rules around what they're able to share. And, uh, and I think, and I think the other thing around that is about like knowing your own personal boundaries, right? And so, and, and what you're able to kind of be with, with the other person. So uh, a while back, I remember we had cultivated like a really, really incredible sharing community and, um, and folks, you know, by um, the end of working here about six months with us, and these are some um, young folks that we were with, they were disclosing some pretty serious things, things that I had to take a step back and say, okay, am I, do I have the professional like knowledge do I have like uh, what it takes the expertise to kind of address some of these issues that they're bringing to our place <laughs> and what we had discovered at that time was that uh, like we weren't like we were scrambling for some of it and so I think and so you know we were doing a little bit of like um, it felt like case management um, I have a, a background in social work, um, but really on like the policy and the reform end, not necessarily on the counseling end. Um, and as we're opening these doors, we're finding like, oh, wow, we like really have to put on like our therapy, like um, hats back on. And what was the, the things they taught us about, about like consent and about like informed consent and like, let's go back to like those rules. And so uh, it's through the, it's been through experience that we've really come to kind of see like what happens when you open that can a little bit too wide and kind of all the things that come. And so what I'd say is that it's a personal question. And I think if folks are able to be with the, the feelings or all that comes with, you know, um, trauma and what folks like want to disclose even more, it can build a really, really rich relationship. So you have to be there. You have to be able to like kind of catch it. Um, if you're not there and you're not able to catch it, what folks, what happens is that like folks kind of like start to build a distrust, right? They're like, Hey, you've given it permission to like share all of this. And now I have, and maybe it's not so safe after all. Um, and there's been lots of really great learning lessons in that. And so I think like how we've gone about it, like moving forward has been with a lot more discretion in terms of this is around, uh, we really focus our work around um, uh, folks' career development. 
and folks' development as a professional. And I think that's important to distinguish between the professional and the personal. And so when we talk about what's keeping you up at night, what's keeping you up at night in terms of your professional career. If I had, if I had a little bit more of a therapy background, maybe I would like, uh, what is it? Uh, take some of that gray area in peace and like blend that a little bit more and be okay with it. Um, but at this point, um, what we found is by like adding the word professional and helping and really centering on professional development and career development, it really helps kind of folks understand where the boundaries are in terms of how they talk about fear or how they talk about any of those uh, feelings that come up. I think that's a really great example. And also because if you, I'm thinking about folks maybe just coming into a workplace or working with people who are very different from them, either by generation or culture or background, whatever. And just knowing that if you can start with your common framework as professional, you already share that, right? You're working together. So it it can build some safety. But from someone who's done crisis intervention work, I'm thinking it's always good to have a really deep resource list of resources so that as HR or whatever hat you're wearing, you say, you know what? I have some resources for you. And we can build that because um, it helps you keep your role also in professional, which is great. Yeah. But you are fearless. I love that because you're willing to dive in and be present with people. And I know from some of the stuff you shared with me before we started this, that recently, and I say recently over the past five or six years, you've really gone deep to learn about yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah, I have. It's only been in the last five years that I've been um, just immersed in like the world of personality tests. Um, And so I think seven, eight um, of the like the key major tests or the tests that are there. Um, I've taken, analyzed, scrutinized like pretty extensively around who I am, where am I going? Um, what is, where is this direction taking me? So tell us a little bit about the types of assessments that you've participated in. And then if you would, I'd be interested to know how the, you know, how you've balanced kind of the results of that with your own personal direction or sense of self and, you know, your own aspirations? Yeah. So, um, I love, um, I love the Myers-Briggs in terms of just getting me like an initial start and boost. Um, I've also really, uh, enjoyed, um, Gallup's, uh, strength test and, um, knowing the top 10 and Enneagrams, um, the big five. Um, we've also done, I've also really enjoyed, um, the insights, uh, assessment as well, um, around self-awareness. And, oh, and then, and then there's also the stand-up test as well. Between those seven, I think those are like the main ones that I've drawn the most insight around. And I think that one of the things that was very surprising for me was coming into, I think like my career, my early career, um, I very much saw myself as a, someone who can move, move and like create movements and someone who could just get stuff done. Like I felt like if there was a big kind of like big, hairy, audacious goal, I was, you know, so excited to like get at it and work towards like the outcome. And, but, but in myself, I never saw someone as, um, who was creative. Um, I just saw someone who was like very linear. I could get the work done. I loved spreadsheets and I could create a plan for us that um, would be pretty solid. And what these tests were really revealing to me was that there was a much softer side to a lot of what I was, uh, to the way that I saw myself. And there was a artistic side to the way that I had seen my, that I had been ignoring. 
And the more that I had to reckon with that, the more that I had to say to myself, well, what about the work that I'm doing actually doesn't feel good? Like I'd created such a strong identity around Marissa, this overachiever who just likes crushing goals. And, and then I was, and then I had to reckon with, well, well, there are times that I felt really burnt out in this work. And I really just, just desired this human connection or kind of some stuff that's like a little bit more kumbaya And that's what these tests were telling me. They were saying like, oh, like you're a harmonizer. You um, have a really strong perceptiveness around what people want. And you're really willing to like meet them there and give them what they want. And, um, and that there is a big piece of you that's around communication around people and being driven by like this softer side of the work. And I ignored it for so long. And so I forgot that it was there myself. And as I thought about it more, it really did make sense because it was revealing all this tension that I had just said like, oh, like that's just a challenge. Like you just have to get over it. And the more that you can get over the challenge, like, you know, it'll like, it'll be fine. And, but I was ignoring all of these, these signs. And, um, and then, and then as the tests were saying, like, no, you, like, it's a part of you. And so the last few years, I've been thinking a lot more about how to let go of control in my work, how to invite more collaboration and how to really utilize um, the strength I have around harmony and around um, people coming together and the goodness of that and make that the center of the work rather than the goal and the outcome, letting that share a little bit of space. And so much to the point that, uh, you know, I was like, okay, I'm done with spreadsheets. I'm not going to look at those anymore. Let me just like kumbaya for the first like hour of every day. And I think this will help. And I think I'm still figuring it out a ton. Uh, recently, I finished a 10-day meditation as uh, very much as a means to think about like, how do I bring this strength in around um, listening to all voices and really, really, I think taking more ownership of these strengths that I had kind of set aside. And bringing them more into my work and thinking of myself um, as a collaborator, as well as a creator, and as someone who um, can crush the goal and will also take the team with me. And, and talking more just about uh, people and the relationships that we have in the project together, rather than just the outcome of what we're doing. And so I didn't expect to like take this turn in terms of like, and, and I, and I thought my career would just be like very linear too. Like I would do this project. I would do the next, I'd go on to another goal. Um, but then I was like, okay, you just really have to take a pause and figure out these, some of these goals aren't actually giving you a lot of joy. What is it about uh, collaboration about teamwork that you really need to build strengths around, um, that you feel like a longing and a yearning to incorporate and you just haven't yet. And so it felt like it unearthed this like longing that I had that I like shoved it under. <laughs> Did you have to reconcile the difference between like the goal, like that hyper focus on goal achievement and that being a measure of success and really a measure of success about you living in kind of your strengths and who you really feel you are at your core? That I had to um Did you have to rec- yeah, did you have to reconcile those two things with each other? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like I had to like, like the realization that like, I was like, oh, I can't like, I can't just steamroll my way towards the goal. Like that's, that's the usual style of doing things. (laughs) Um, And let me go back and, and think about like, 
how I bring folks with me. And I think there was also this part of me that felt like I was like, I'm such a team player. It's like, I always thought of myself as a team player. But I think that like how goal-driven I was was so much more than like my other identity as being a team player. And so I think that like in terms of reckoning them, it was more so, hmm. It felt like before it was like, I was choosing one hat to put on. I was going to be like my team player, Marissa hat, or I'm going to be like my goal hat. And on Mondays, it was like my goal hat. I'd get like all the stuff done. And then on Tuesdays would be like the days that I was like, you know, engaging with like people. And I think what, what it made me do is it made me say, why are you wearing these two hats just like separately? Why like, aren't you putting them together and thinking about how both of these things like actually live in one person um, at one time. And, and I think that that was like where the reckoning was, was yeah. like getting them to live in the same room together and them having to like understand one another and like having to compromise with each other in real time rather than saying, I'm going to wait till Tuesday to get like my feel goods in or versus like, I'm going to wait till Wednesday to like really hit that, that goal that I didn't get on, on to, like Monday. Yeah. I totally relate. <laughs> I just love how you describe that. But there's also that picture in my head as you're describing that um, of like these two parts or aspects having to shake hands and saying, hey, I see you. You're good. You're valuable just as you are. And hey, I see me. I'm valuable as I am too. So I, I really like, um, and that's what asked me to ask you that question about, did you have to reckon? Because I sometimes, personally, I know I've had to do the same thing going, at what expense are you pursuing this right now? What are you missing, right? So um, not as strong on the harmony as you are, but it sounds like we're similar in goal focus. But that really, that collaborative piece, have you been able to roll that now into how you work more frequently? Yes. I mean, I think that, I think it, it was like such small things, like in Thai culture, we have this, we have this kind of this like inherent uh, idea that we're all here to have a, we're also here to get the job done. Um, and I think that whenever like I had made a mistake or I had like um, done something that was offensive to someone else, I was always like, oh, but can't you see like the good in my intention? Like we're just here to get the job done together. And I think what it's really taught me is that even though that is absolutely like my intention that it's not how it's read with other people and um, I'm so much more slower and patient with myself and saying okay that is the goal but we're not gonna we don't have to get there by Wednesday we're gonna take everyone with us and that means that we'll get there on Friday and the journey is going to be that much more rich and that means that you know I'm not going to just make assumptions that everyone knows that I'm coming from the right place but I'm also going to take the time to help them understand who I am, why, like that these are my intentions. And then I'm also going to make, um, take strides to reinforce those, that those are my intentions through like asking before I do something um, in terms of permissions or um, getting folks' feedback around something. And, and I think that's, that's been really, really meaningful too. Has that influenced now also how you're working with youth and their youth development? Oh yeah, yes, yes. I mean, I think I think with youth in particular, uh, um, one of the things that that is really strong in our programs is you know it's like such an um, we're a startup nonprofit, and so everything that we're doing is kind of on this experimental model as we continue to improve our programs and improve the different uh, ways that we work with youth. 
And, but you tell us all the time, the things that we're doing wrong and the things that we're doing right. But it's a lot, you know, like this could be better. Like, what about this? What about this? And, um, and I think like with everything that's happened, it's really given me so much more space to just like really let folks like vent out like all the things, all the ideas and the creative insights around what could be better. And really like thinking about not just what's practical in terms of getting to the goal, but thinking around this like idealism around what we want to build as a collective and letting that, that um, outcome or that goal then take shape based on who's in the room. And so I think that um, now projects are so much more, um, they look like everyone who's touched them and, and the vision from like the start to the end has changed quite drastically. And it tells the story of like our collective journey. Uh, whereas before, I think, you know, it sometimes was just like a plan that was envisioned by maybe a couple of folks and we just kind of did it. Yeah. And so I think in those ways, like it's become so much richer. And I think youth also have um, then be able to really feel like that their ideas and their insights have been heard and we're, um, we're, we're doing something with them. It's that shared involvement or ownership for the change that you're working on together of feeling stuck and ending with the same result? Want to know how Sarah can help you with one-on-one or organizational coaching? Then book your free discovery call at sarahbox.com forward slash contact. Now back to the show. So, you know, we're referring to the work you do with youth, but we haven't really spent much time talking about what is your work? What is 21? So talk about kind of what your organization is. You mentioned that it's a startup. 21 Progress is a startup. You're based in the Seattle area. Give us a little more scoop about what your focus is as an organization and what you're hoping to have different as a result of the fact that you exist. Oh, yes. Okay. So we're a national organization. Um, We uh, develop programs, curriculum, and experiences for young people of color who are interested in doing social change work. And so oftentimes, these are high school and college students who believe that they can and want to make a difference in their communities and the world. And um, our philosophy and our thought is that um, if we have people who want to make a difference and want to dedicate their lives in these kind of ways... Um, we can build the resources and we can build the um, platforms that they need to really help launch them to where they um, ought to be. And, and so we um, do a lot of mixing of uh, personality tests, um, curriculum from um, the social justice and uh, social work sector and mixing that with um, the way that we just think it, think about mixing that with fun and exciting ways to think about social issues and complex problems in our society. Um, and so we host a, uh, a summer leadership program. Every year, leaders from all over the country come to Seattle for about um, six or so weeks to just study, learn, and immerse themselves in thinking about social change and complex social issues and how really we tackle these things because it's not just one simple kind of answer. And in terms of where we hope to make a difference and where we hope to go, I think that oftentimes when we talk about social issues and we talk about social change, what we see is, you know, we either see uh, politicians talking about it in D.C., you know, in buildings and in environments that look very different from where the people who are impacted by the issues are. 
um, or we see it on the ground where the folks who are impacted by the issues are, you know, um, protesting or they're um, advocating for what they need. And these two different kind of depictions, right, of like social movements. And I think what we hope to do is um, take those two dichotomies and really bring them together. And that life and anger and passion and reform can live, can look like the people and also live, live in DC. And that we can bring heart and relationship back into social issues as they are on the policy level. And we can bring real change and real reform to the folks who are advocating on the ground. And I think that that's what young people really struggle with today is like, how do we achieve and how do we, with all of these in like all of these visions that we have for like our collective future, how do we both want, like, how do we both achieve and like go for that? And at the same time, balancing in harmony and in community with each other. And so this like ongoing tension. So I think that our organization is really helping folks, not just think about social justice and like, you know, these two different areas, but really get into the nitty gritty of what it actually is and, and experience the tension of how do you advocate for something that you, in your core desire, but also be in harmony, um, be in community and be in harmony with folks who might feel very differently from you. How do you talk about race and talk about gender uh, with folks where who've had uh, generations of trauma around these issues and still talk about them with um, care for the other person's experience and also uh, with this focus around getting something done. And I think that mixing the like the professional and the personal and like the political and the personal is just one of those really tricky things that uh, um, you have to learn how to navigate. And we hope that we're offering programs and trainings that help students really understand that like it's not just a like a understand that like like through the idealisms of social change and really get into the work of social change which is really rooted in like relationship building and trust and commitment with each other and so um, a lot of our programs have that in it as well. Okay, I'm going to stand back and go up to like the 30,000 foot view and just tell you how interesting it is to me to listen to your description of what your hopes are for the youth and really the the two dichotomies, right? You gave the example of the DC and then like in the on the ground with the people who are affected, but it's so similar to how you describe the interior part of yourself, right? Your the parts that drive you, the more harmonizing part with that goal achievement part, right? They seem so different from one another, and yet they really are parts of the whole. And to make peace with them and recognize them for who they are, right? So I think the work that you're doing through 21 Progress is hugely brave and important, but I'm, I just think it's wonderful how it mirrors the work you've already done with yourself around leadership. Do you think you'd be able to be as effective at what you're doing had you not done your assessment and learning around your own skills and needs and strengths? No, I mean, I think that I think that very much as we've been doing this work, like I've been learning about my own leadership and I've been learning about my style in this process. And I think like so much of this work, like, you know, young folks are talking to us or they're asking us these um, 
they're asking us these questions around like how they navigate through. And so if anything, I feel like sometimes it's just me trying to keep a couple steps ahead and and understanding bits of my process so that I can be able to like reflect it back and say, oh, this is what it's like. And yeah, but I very much feel like I'm building it as I as I go. And we're just trying to share insights with one another so that we can all move forward. So on the note of sharing, I want to um, ask you to tell the listeners what you have offered to share with them in terms of resources and being part, staying informed because of your work. So can you talk a little bit about that and what folks can expect to get from your link? Yeah, so um, if folks come, uh, if folks visit our website, what we what we will do over the next couple of months is we're going to um, start sharing um, all of our curriculum and our programs and our trainings publicly. We want it to be um, free to the public and open and open source for anyone to use. And so, if you know a young person um, who's passionate about social change, um, if you're a teacher or a community leader and you want um, some of this information, um, our website www.21progress.org is a uh, we'll have a collection of library resources for folks that we've created and then if folks sign up on our listserv you'll also be able to get updates and releases for the different things that um, we'll be sharing this year and we'll have just in case anybody's driving a vehicle and didn't get that please don't try to write it while you're driving It's in the show notes. And so when you come here, you'll have any links that Marissa has asked us to share. They're going to be there for you. So don't worry about it. You can go and get on her listserv. Because those I would imagine, Marissa, those those resources and curriculum have taken time to develop. And you've already seen that they're effective. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're very excited to share them with folks and see how other folks experience them. And if someone did share them or use them and then wanted to test them out, would you be available to talk to them later and say, if I called and said, I have a question about how this played out in my community, could you talk with me about that and help me even understand more deeply? Yes, yes. Um, We uh, have supported different organizations and then also um, education institutions um, implementing some of our trainings. And so um, calling us, connecting with us and being able to consult with us is definitely something that we offer. Excellent. So I want to thank you for taking time to be on the podcast today, Marissa. You are both wise and innovative, and I can see how your culture has influenced your approach to challenges, and I admire it and will take something away from it. Thank you so much, Sarah. I appreciate the invitation to speak with you and share today. You've been listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author, change agent, and strategic vision coach, Sarah Box. You can grab the show notes and find out how to work with Sarah at sarahbox.com forward slash no labels, no limits podcast. We'd love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. So please remember to rate, leave a five-star review and share the podcast with someone you think would get value from this conversation. Until next time, keep taking those daily action steps to align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life.